Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. It's a pleasure to have you with us here on the program. Uh, we are, uh, we are uh, here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We're streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com, as well as the 9 a.m. Wednesday program. So we hope that you will, uh, you will uh, join us uh, for that. Uh, we uh, are uh, podcasting on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, and many other locations, too numerous to mention. And uh, we certainly hope that you will uh, join us at the podcast. We're also on YouTube. Uh, on the SoundCloud and YouTube, and uh, so you can find us pretty much anywhere. We hope that you will look for us. We hope that you will um, also uh, support the work we're doing by uh, going to PayPal, and um, we want you to basically, uh, if you can support us financially, we'd greatly appreciate it. The reason we have PayPal, it's for your security as well as ours. And then we ask you to spend time uh, going within, listening to that still, small voice in that quiet, peaceful, calm place. And uh, with that, uh, we're talking about the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. So with all of that being said, my guest today is the author of a fascinating book. I think you're going to like it. It's, um, you might say it's either along the lines of Dr. Seuss or Aesop's Fables or what I grew up with on, in cartoon form, fractured fairy tales. It was very, very funny stuff. This particular work is entitled the Island of the Four Peas. This is a modern fable about preparing for your future. And Ed Hajim, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. It's great to have you with us. Nice to be here. Thanks for including me. This is, uh, this is an interesting uh, work that you've put out in terms of fables. We, I, I was dealing with a gentleman not long ago, and we're still connected. We're still doing stuff. Uh, having to do with uh, mythology, uh, but we did some programs on modern mythology, and one of those happened to be, as was shared with me by one of my co-workers back in Phoenix, Star Trek The Next Generation. He said, as because we were both Trekkies, he says, you know, that Star Trek Next Generation, it's our modern day mythology. So right. I started watching it from that perspective, and I thought, wow, it is. And it was very cool. Uh, do you have the same perspective of, of other movies or television programs uh, that teach people, I guess you might say, the moral of the story at the end? Um, but sometimes they take us the long way. I, I think you're right. Movies, that's when one of the things with movies, that's, that's what they're set for. They're basically set to have you reach, and you can do it with your with multiple senses. I think that's you know going back to Blade Runner and all of the you know the, those movies in the eighties and nineties that reached ahead. They're reaching ahead again, but not so much not as much as they were then. I think in the eighties and nineties we had much more you know you had Toffler with the Future Shock. You had quite a few people wanting to reach ahead. Here you're getting you know more of a mix, but there still is. You're right. Star Trek is you know our modern mythology. You know. When I was a when I was a boy, Flash Gordon, you know, and they, you look back at some of those things, you couldn't believe you even ever watched them. How silly they looked, but it was, you know, it was a story. Going to the moon was, you know, something that nobody thought of, you know, until I was a senior in college. So I think you're right. It is modern mythology. Well, and and what was interesting about this series of programs, which the title of the series of programs was called Mythosophia, exploring the depths of myth and wisdom. And we did quite a number of programs on different subjects, one a month. And uh, we spent a lot of time on science fiction in particular. Uh, I mean, Dune, for example, what a, what an epic. You know, just yeah. I, I loved it because of the intricacies. And we're talking about the book as well as mm. the movie, but the book right. goes into much more detail. And I was so impressed when I was reading it back when I was a teen and in my 20s by the ability of Frank Herbert to create all of the, shall we call them the religious and political and economic um, structure, infrastructures, if you will, 
within the story. I mean, it was it was amazing to me, and I, that's one of the things that I'm always impressed uh, by authors. I'm curious about your book, which again I'll remind our listeners of the title, "The Land, uh, the Island of the Four Peas." Again, it's a modern fable about preparing for your future, which we will get into that whole aspect of preparing for one's future. Uh, but um, you've got this, you've got this island, you've got this place where, shall we say, the action happens. Right. It's it basically we're we're putting we're putting a a, a a mythical place together where two people, a young, very young man and a very old man, can talk about life and the, the vocabulary of life. And I come up with the four P's: finding your passions finding your principles, finding your partners, and then finding your plans. And even in, in the last section of that, finding a plans are some of the things you're talking about because we're asking everybody to reach ahead and think about what's going to happen next. But it's very important in the, in the human being side that one works on their passions and their principles first. And that's what we go through. And I've created these mythical villages where the two people go and talk. And it's very... It's very clever in that some people will say to me, the galleys have been read by, oh, I don't know, 30 or 40 people. Some of the people come back and say, well, it's interesting. It sounds like an old man talking to a young man, you know, making the young man make his decisions himself. Because the old man knew that had, having the individual make the decisions was the most important thing. Other people have been clever. And I think that's what I was trying to say. Actually, the old man and the young man are the same man. And they're talking, basically, you're talking your own experience trying to give that back to yourself when you're 18. And I think that's very, very interesting. But each of these points, passions, you know, are very broadly based and they do transition in life. Principles, you know, in my principles chapter, one looks at religion, philosophy, psychology, and there's a big room where you go into and you spend days and hours thinking about your principles, you know, what lines you won't cross, what rules you want to follow and so forth. And the book is not one to say, here's the right answers. It's say you must get the answers. Here's the framework. And so I believe the people have to develop a language that they communicate with themselves. The main message is your inner voice. You've already said this basically subtly is the only constant in life. You carry it from birth to death mm. and the ability to talk to yourself well and have yourself talk back. Like when things are really rough, the guy says, boy, you can do it. You know, and those people say you can't do it. Don't do it. So this is what the book's all about. And it follows on from my first book, On the Road Less Travel, which was my autobiography. In the epilogue, it starts talking about the four Ps. And in my lifetime, I used the four Ps. Mm. I used the four Ps to plan what I was going to do. I have, you know, in my days, you know, it's a yellow pad where you took it and you wrote things down. Today, people use the iPad. And what I want people to do, and I'm creating a course at the university based on this, I want people to write down their passions and watch how they change. I want them to write down their principles and see what, as they add to them. I want them to write down what kinds of partners they need to carry out their missions. And that's also, I want them to write their plans, where they want to go and how they think they can get there. And that's some of the messages that I'm getting across. And then there's some more subtle messages within the whole thing. But it is, it's an interesting, it's a conversation. And the, the old man keeps prodding the young man. And there's actually a young lady that shows up in the middle of the book prodding them to make those decisions themselves because the only decisions you really live by are the ones you make yourself. Well, we talk about giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. And one of the biggest issues uh, that uh, a lot of people are facing is trying to figure out what their dreams are, what their life's purpose is, and uh, you are helping them to sort of address that by virtue of preparing for the future. One other aspect of the whole choices thing is that statement that's made by many. You hear it quite often that the choices of your uh, the choices you've made in the past have put you exactly where you are right now. Exactly. But the choices that you make now will put you where you will be in the future. But I love the line that says the choices that you make now that will place you in that future are solely based upon what your perception of the future will be. Not that it will be that, but whatever it is that you think the future is going to be, 
then your choices are going to be based on that premise. And that's one of my, my pitches in, the, in the, the, the part of the book on plans. Spend a significant amount of your time looking for a wave or a cycle or a theme where you can get your wind at your back. Because if you read biographies of successful people, you'll find out almost unequivocally they've, they've had the wind at their back at some significant portion of their life. And I can give you the wind of my back that caused me to be successful. It's, it's really, it, and if you had the wind in your face the whole time, you just won't get there. And so that's one of the things that I push for young people. And then you have to marry, though. You have to marry your, your, your passions and your principles with those waves. Mm-hmm. You can't just say, I want to be this. And if you're not, the, you don't have the capability, you don't have the passion, you can't do it. If you can marry your passions and your principles, find the right partners, and find a wave or a cycle, your life becomes much easier. And you can see that throughout almost any major success story. We are talking with Ed Hajim, and um, he has a book I think you're going to want to get. Your website is your name, actually, Ed Hajim, and that's E-D-H-A-J-I-M dot com, correct? That's right, WW. And you can go and get a copy uh, through Amazon, I'm sure, of many other locations. The Island? It's a a pre-order. It doesn't come out till April, but you can get a copy of my other book, which is On the Road Does Travel on Amazon or Shyman & Schuster. It's, uh, that's on my website as well. All and right. There's quite a bit of information on my website. I've been a very lucky person. And I, the reason I wrote, wrote the book, I was pushed to write it by my family because I truly have lived the American dream, starting with absolutely nothing. As I, I tell people, my grammar school, my high school, my college, and my graduate school graduation, nobody came. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we'll talk about that as we continue. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation here with Ed Hajim. On Tell Me Your Story, I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's a pleasure to have Ed with us, who is the author of The Island of the Four Peas. We'll find out what those four Ps are in a minute. Uh, but it's interesting how you uttered the phrase uh, in reference to this being the land of opportunity. Now, there's an interesting uh, uh, dynamic, and I will call it a dichotomy. Those who came over here, especially at the turn of the last century, who came through Ellis Island, right. that phrase was on their lips. I'm going to the land of opportunity. I'm going to right. make something. And nine, I would say maybe 50%. I don't know what the statistics are, but maybe 50% of the mom and pop establishments that were created from the time they came over to the new world, as it were, through Ellis Island are now global conglomerates. They're massive corporations, all right? And a lot of them, they didn't make it. They didn't survive. But then again, not all businesses are going to. But they came here with that dream. Then you have those of us who live here, who were born and raised here. We hear that phrase, too. And 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 the thing that I find uh, rather, again, dichotomous is the fact that those of us who were born and raised here, in spite of hearing that, we don't believe it. And for one reason, and one reason primarily, I think, we have a taxation um, uh, situation in this country. And of course, you hear constantly, especially in the last, oh, I don't know, 20, 30 years, that in general, the general public wants the wealthy to pay more taxes. Well, I look at it this way. Uh, look, if I if I have a million dollars and you want half, I still have 500,000. Did I work hard for the million? Yes, I did. But I still have 500,000. If I have a billion and you take half, I still have 500 million dollars. And of course, then there's the sort of the question of, well, how much is enough? And and I guess that's really subject to each individual, each individual. I don't think that we should be uh, um, uh, bullied, so to speak, or pressed into, okay, you can only make this much. And you go over that line and you're going to pay even more and more and more and more and more, which is sort of a disincentive to going after one's dreams if one of those dreams is to have more zeros before the decimal point. So you've kind of got those two, they, they're seemingly uh, diametrically opposed concepts. Uh, but you say you started with nothing. I don't know if you're a millionaire and we don't need to go there. But I'm curious. 
in the Declaration of Independence, it says that there are inalienable rights, and among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Are you a happy individual, a happy American? I am basically a happy American. I, you know, again, your childhood, which I make in my, my first book, I make it very clear, that has an enormous effect on you. I am not a giggly, laughing type of person. I, I'm, I'm happy, basically happy. I'm happy because I have a wonderful family with three children, eight grandchildren, and so on. But, you know, I became serious because the first part of my life was a serious experience. And uh, therefore, you know, I'm very happy. And by the way, having traveled the world, there's no country like ours. There just isn't. I mean, there just isn't a country. This is the only country in the history of the world where people with very little or minorities have been able to do well. We don't do it. We still don't do a great job. But think about Britain or Germany or Japan. Any of the minorities there or the non, non-locals cannot make it. It's very hard. It's starting to change in some of the countries. But we have given people... You know, we've given people enormous opportunity relative to the history of the world. And, you know, it's different now than it was in 1900. You're right. But in 1900, the people that came over had a pretty rough time until the 50s or the 60s, you know, even the 70s. Where things changed was kind of in the early 80s when we got our, we got our act together. And for the last 40 years, it's been unusual. So that this makes me nervous in addition. One of the best periods in history was the last 40 years. But you have, there's a dichotomy. There's a dichotomy, you know, and by the way, everybody doesn't succeed. But my point is you had a greater chance of succeeding, you know, if you find your passions and your, you establish your principles and partners and have plans and you don't do that well, you still may be pretty happy because you've achieved what you want to achieve. And I, I use the other example. Of my own success was on Wall Street and so on and so forth. But a friend of mine graduated in, as a medical student. With a, with a specialty in curvature of the spine. He could have gone any place in the United States to the finest hospitals. He went to Ethiopia. And basically the trend, the demand for curvature of spine work in Africa is unlimited. And he spent the last 20 or 30 years over there, and he's been a fabulous success. And he's changed people's lives. And you mm. can see it by his brochure. Now, that's a different road, but that's, that was his passion. And he found the right place to exercise it. And he's happy. He's a very happy guy. Hard work. Impossible work, in fact, but you know that's his, his goal. So there's there's opposite of the spectrum, and I that's why I say people can be happy, and you know you see this with a lot of people in in small towns in particular, you know, who carry out daily activities and just very happy. They find what they want to find, and I think that's what we have to do. But it is there's a dichotomy. I mean, this is not this is this is not going to work for everybody. Nothing works for everybody. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, w- one of the the aspects I think that uh, the detractors, and I am not one of them. I'm a realist. I want to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. I want to recognize that, as you stated, hey, we're not perfect, okay? Uh, I think that one of the issues, for example, that I had in a conversation with my younger brother, who has also traveled the world, he worked for Disney. So he was going to the different countries where they were building the Disney amusement parks. And... um, you know, and, and he was, he, it just seemed that he was, a li- from my perspective, a little unreasonable to recognize that this country has problems, that all he wanted to do was do America rah-rah, which is fine. But we, you and I as individuals, when you, for example, when you talk about the, the, the four Ps in your, in your book here, The Island of the Four Ps, um, we have a dark side. And we have to look at that dark side of us in order to, in order to uh, realize who we are and why we are the way we are in this moment in the present, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll leave that aspect of it for the moment because uh, I don't want to I don't want to belabor that point. I think it, it's, it's well made by you, especially. Right. You started with nothing. You recognize that uh, America is what it is, all right? It has been for those who choose to make it so. And that's what's another interesting aspect, too, that there are those who are the detractors. That's all they want to focus on is the negative. America did this to this race of people and to that group of people and to this group of people. And it's like, okay, we get it. 
Uh, you remember back in uh, 1992, we were celebrating the 500th anniversary of Christopher Columbus? Yeah. Well, I remember the stories that I read in the history books in grade school and high school about Christopher Columbus. But when I got to 1992, I was 32 at the time, I heard three different versions of Christopher Columbus. One, he was an angel. The other, he was a devil. Devil. Yeah. And then somewhere in the middle was the third one. Yeah. So I, I figure he's probably somewhere in the middle there. Um. When it comes to us being honest with self, talk to us about that process as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan with Ed Hajim. And Ed, please share with us your perspectives on this aspect that I, I was just alluding to. Well, the first thing you have to do, and I do that when I talk about it in the, in the partners, partners chapter, basically there are four parts of life, self, family, work and community. Community is my word for giving back. The first one is self. One has to spend a significant portion of one's time in during the first 18 or 25 years understanding self because self basically reacts to the system. Self is a combination of genes, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, uncle, uncle Harry, Aunt Matilda, and what those genes went through for the first 18 to 25 years and then beyond that. But they get sort of cemented early on. Now, if you're an only child and you have certain genes, you react a certain way. If you're number six out of ten, you operate differently. If in your lifetime you grew up when, like some between the 80s, 90s, and 100s, you know, life was smooth. If you grew up like my father did, he was born in 1900. I mean, started out with the Spanish flu when he was 18, then the Depression and war and so forth. You know, by the time he was 70 years old, and, you know, in the 60s and 70s were not a great period in America, especially the 70s. Had a pretty tough road. So it's your genes reacting to not only how you grew up, what happened while you were growing up, and then then how that affects you. They start off with that. And then you then you sort of once you get that control, then you recognize what the system is. And I I, I go with Christopher Columbus. I hated history as a child because of memorizing facts. As I got older, I recognized there are no facts. They're all just opinions. There are a few facts, but mainly it's what people are looking at. And that's why I say America, relatively speaking, has done a job on the world that no other country has done in the, in the past ever. Now, yeah. But it's relative. We have huge spots because we're human beings. And, and you know, we're, we're going through an experiment now which has never been done before, which is, and we've been going doing it for almost over 100 years, is putting whole groups of different people together in one system. I mean, if you go to Japan, I mean, I've been to Japan many times, you know, they're all Japanese. You know, you go to in England until, you know, 30 years ago, they were all British. I mean, had very little mixture. And the same thing. Now you've got an integration going on. We're the greatest integration. And I don't know how it's going to come out. I haven't figured it out. I've got people on both sides of that. One say it can't be done because it's never been done before. Others say it is the future, is to be able to meld these groups together. And by the way, the book is more directed, unfortunately, toward younger people. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you get to a certain stage of your life. You've done your thing. You've got you. You've exercised some of your passions. You've, you've built certain bridges and, and, and crossed other ones. And you're going to have to live your life out doing what you're doing. It's, it's that's life. Kids at age 18 to 22, where this book is really or even, even earlier, can really make certain kinds of decisions and see how it comes out. And I think that's what I want. I want people to be more directed. I don't want to be be taken by the wind. You know, I can do this because it's a job. Now, I may do that job, but I still want to do this someday. Mm -hmm. You know, and that and I want to keep that in mind because I think people who end up doing what they want to really want to do are happier overall. And it's but it's nothing simple. I mean, I I find one of the biggest problems people have is in raising families. That's why family is so important to me. Families are almost impossible. You know, my father grew up in the depression, the war and so forth. I grew up in the you know, the, the 40s, 50s, and 60s. My kids grew up in the 80s. They have a totally different perspective on life, mm -hmm. you know. You know, yeah. yeah. And so that, that's, and how can you expect them to react the same way you do? And that's been the real difficulty with, with families. Though. Yeah. I've wandered off. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. That's, no. Hey, <laughs> uh, the universe asks the questions. I'm just along for the ride. And wherever the universe takes us, that's where we go. 
That's all. So good. you I are like you them. are right. You're you're right center on the rails. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> We're right. talking with uh, with Ed Hajim, and um, you're you're uh, now you personally are not an immigrant from Syria. Is that correct? Your no. parents. Uh, no, my father came in 1900. Uh, he was a, an infant and arrived at Ellis Allen, and that's why the name Hajim is a crazy name because they didn't speak a word of English, and the customs made up the name. Yeah. And so they, those five letters are they're very. There's nobody else in the world we know of. We, my star, I think, has discovered somebody, but nobody else has that last name except my family. I found uh, that when I started hearing the stories of the name changes, I thought. How disrespectful the Ellis Island workers were not to try and allow these people to keep their names. But again, kind of go back to what you said before. Those were different times, different attitudes, different perspectives. And that's just what they did. Now, today, we can do some research and track backwards, if you know, hopefully, to find right. out what our original name was. I don't know if there was an O in front of Dugan or not. Uh, the joke is, of course, that they tossed the O overboard as they were crossing the Atlantic. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but be that as it may, I want to read something to you. Folks, first of all, <clears throat> the island of the four Ps. The four Ps just happen to be passion, principle, partners, and then uh, plans. Plans one and two, which we'll talk about as well. But I came across this, and, and I'm a firm believer in when you pop open a book, you're uh, popping open to a place that you should go. This has to do with lessons, and you've got lessons at the end of each of these chapters. In this case, this kind of ties in, consciously focus on one item at a time and observe how the relationship among all the elements changes. This will enable you to consider what is most important for you at any one time and how choices will affect other elements of your life. Now, I can give you a present-day prime example of that. Um, and it was, uh, it's not exactly present. It was about four years ago, but be that as it may, I was traveling. I was driving at that time. I was driving a four-door Volvo, very nice car. And I decided that I was going to get off of uh, one of the main thoroughfares and go through one of the side streets to get to another one of the main thoroughfares. And as I'm traveling through... A gentleman in a white BMW decides to pull, uh, pull out of his driveway, and we collided. Mm. Now, by law, first of all, non-injury, non-injury accident for either of us. Um, by law, he's at fault because he pulled out without, pull out. Yeah. without right checking. Away. Okay. Well, I was a little miffed because the, the car was literally, it was totaled. The cost of the parts was going to be more than the car was even worth. So they totaled it. That then gave us uh, a down payment we were able to use to purchase the truck that we drive now. With it, we've been wanting for several years. <laughs> and 11 months after that, we were able to buy a travel trailer that we're able to pull behind the truck that we've also been wanting for years. Now... The pivot point here was that after the accident, the police show up, they take all their pictures, I call the insurance company, da-da-da-da-da, we're still out there, and I had this impulse. Richard, go over to the gentleman who was driving the other car in front of the police officer, extend your hand, which I did, and I said, I am glad that neither of us was injured. Now, go out and make it a better day because I'm going to. And I turned away and my vehicle was, even though it was eventually total, I was actually able to drive it to work, get it, get it to work. Uh, but at first, of course, I was shaken up. I was a little miffed because of the inconvenience. I was more upset about the inconvenience in the day because I missed it. Oh, yeah, day. Jeez, yeah, I missed yeah, an yeah. interview. I missed an interview. I love doing these. Um, but I was glad that neither of us was hurt. But it opened up some doors 
And someone said, well, you do know that you could have manifest both the truck and the trailer without getting into an accident, to which I responded, are you sure? Are you now, sure? remember, it was a non-injury accident. Right. So I made a choice to turn down that road, and it changed everything. Right. If I hadn't gone down that road, there you go. So... It doesn't take much, does it? I mean, sometimes I've heard it said uh, a lane change on the freeway can change your life. No, no. The, 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 the other side of my the argument from what I'm putting forward is that when man plans, God laughs. You know, because exactly what you say, a lane change can change your life. But extending your hand like that also changed you. So that, that, that's the choice you made. And I think it affected you probably for, for months afterwards, maybe years afterwards. I mean, those kinds of experiences make us very different. That's why I say you find out who you are. And as you go through life, you try to make little changes to make yourself a little bit better to yeah. handle the situation, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And many people have, of course, you know, people have difficult situations and contact. Context is so important. Look in Ukraine today. I mean, it's a totally different ballgame. It's a totally different ballgame in Ukraine today or in China. There is here, even in different parts of the country. I mean, people are putting up with, with floods now in, in, in California. Well, you know that better than I do. You know, I just talked to a fellow in, in Pebble Beach. I mean, it, you know, it's got to be careful how he goes back and forth. So I think those are the kinds of things that I, I want people to just think about what they do and how it affects them. We're talking with Ed Hajim. And we're talking about his latest work uh, that, of course, is released in early April 2023. Uh, I want to talk about the other book you mentioned as well as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. EdHajim.com is the website that we want you to go to. E-D-H-A-J-I-M.com. Get a copy, get a pre-ordered copy, if, uh, if you can, of The Island of the Four Ps. It is a modern fable about preparing for your future. Um, you mentioned the title of your other book, which is sort of a catchphrase of sorts. Tell us, uh, what was the title of that book uh, once again? On the Road Less Traveled. Now, the, Scott Peck wrote the book. Down Scott the Peck wrote the book. The, ah, yes. The Road Less Traveled. The, road less, the traveled. road less Traveled, yeah. And I, I named it this way because I have traveled most roads, you know, that have been less traveled. I mean, very few people go up in orphanages and, and, and foster homes and, you know, end up in, in college with a leather jacket on. And then 50 years later, they're the board of chairman of the board of trustees. So I've traveled a lot of different roads in that respect. I've, I've had two different religions. I was brought up in a Catholic, I was brought up in Catholic schools and actually was an altar boy for a while. And then later on I was bar mitzvah. So I've had, I've traveled a lot of different roads and I've, I've been an engineer and a naval officer and ended up in Wall Street for most of my life. And now, you know, I'm as my wife says, now you're an author. Well, I said, I'm not exactly an author, but I'm starting to write books. And I'm writing books about, you know, what I consider to be real-life situations. This book has sold 15,000 copies, which, according to my publicist, for a non-celebrity, or someone, this is one of the principles I have done. I found it as I worked my way through, to be happy is to live hidden. Now, you obviously, I'm not hidden anymore. But when I was on Wall Street, you would call me up to be on the, on television or in the newspaper, I would say no. I would I I felt that because I had enough responsibility running the company. I didn't want to become a public figure. Now it's opposite. I mean, I have to become a public figure if I want to tell my story. But my book basically, I've traveled a lot of different roads, and I want to pass on that information to young people. So making maybe make their trip a little bit easier. I always say the life, the, the road of life is always under construction. So you got to make sure you're you're ready for all the twists and turns and make sure that the, a turn in the road is not the end of the road. That's one of the cliches in my book, too, because many people, they find a turn in the road, it's over. It's not over. I got thrown out of Lehman Brothers after seven years. I was a partner, member of the board of directors. I did everything right. And it's still, I got thrown out. So I found out, never be a victim. I went on to become the chairman of a, of a, of a very small investment bank and spent wonderful 20 years running the bank. We, we had a wonderful time. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Later on in my life, I, I was in Nantucket, and I couldn't get into the local golf club. So mm -hmm. not being a victim, I built my own golf club. 
And that's been one of the great experiences of my life. You know, having a, you know, actually taking 300 acres and making a wonderful golf club of it and changing 500 families' lives, the 500 families that belong to the club. And we now are the largest charity on the island and the largest charity in the history of the island. We put two kids in college every year, and last year we put 10 kids in vocational school. So those are, that's my life story, and I want to get that across to people. Plus the fact my biggest success is I'm married 57 years. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, yeah, right. My parents. Congratulate my wife. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, my parents celebrate in 2023 their 66th wedding anniversary. Oh, my wow. father is 92 this year. My mother, 89. Still going strong. Uh, we have longevity uh, on both sides of the family. That's fabulous. Yeah. And um, I have to tell you that they are a resource I have tapped on numerous occasions throughout my two marriages. Uh, I'm, well, still in, I'm still in you, my you're second. You're a modern man. You yeah. know, I, have a, I, have, I mean, I'm not, I'm not immune. My oldest son's divorced. And, you know, that's another my experience. I, I mean, it was Ed, you're perfect. No, I'm not. My oldest son has three, three children. And after 23 years of marriage, he got, he got divorced. And I, you know, I, I accept, I accept what, he, what his, his rationale. And it, it, it happens. And it's in modern, the modern world is much more difficult. You know, and it's, and it's not looked down upon. It's a lot easier getting separated. Yeah. It's not easier oh, living yeah. through it, though. I'll tell you. It you is easier. <laughs> it is easier to get divorced than it is to get out of a cell phone contract. Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you. That's modern science. There you go. That, there you go. There you go. Fascinating stuff. I have a copy of that book, The Road Less Traveled. Uh, it's floating around here somewhere in one of my stacks of books, I'm sure. Uh, it's fascinating to me as we talk about these things that uh, there, there's a, a matter of fact, what sprang to mind was uh, a chorus line of a song by uh, the late Harry Chapin. Uh, and it goes, uh, all my life's a circle, sunrise and sundown. The moon rolls through the nighttime till the daybreak comes around. All my life's a circle and I can't tell you why. The season's spinning round again. The years keep rolling by. And there's a line in there about how none of all his roads have bends. But he makes the same statement you do. That just because there's a bend in the road, doesn't that doesn't mean that's the end. And it's not the end of the road. That's right. In fact, the bends in the road, in many respects, fate is taking you in a new direction, which may be better than, well, like your car accident. You know, it worked out really well, you know, and I leaving Lehman Brothers, I, it was a great company. I was miserable there because I, I didn't get along with a lot of the people. And I found a new home and I spent 20 years running a small bank and I had a great time. It was a great experience. And and so it, it was a good thing that happened to me, actually. So I, I find and in my childhood, even I pitched pretty hard that my disadvantage, a lot of my disadvantages in my childhood became advantages. Mm -hmm. Think of it. Living in 15 to 20 different places as a child, you build adaptability. I mean, you know, you, you know how to go from one schoolyard to the next or from one company to the next as you get older. Yeah. You're not afraid of that. You're not afraid of change. In fact, you embrace change because you're used to it. But you get a kid, unfortunately, like some of my children, who go to one school for 18 years, live in one neighborhood and so forth. Not so easy. And people ask me, what do you do? I said, in the summertime, send them to Outward Bound. Send them to Knowles. Get them, you know, get them out there in the open. Get them a job in a, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a hospital in, in Kentucky or something. But make sure they get out of there because there's a big difference in my life than people who sit in one place. And so, you know, I, I, that's what I tell people. Even resilience. Think about that. Once you go into a schoolyard and have to adjust to that, then you get all set. You're in. You found your place. Then they move you again. And you start all over again. Strangers, new operation. And the same way with a company. I, I changed companies from one company to the other. I knew how to handle it because I'd done it before as a child. So you know, this is, this is, and, but you do how you pick up, you pick up negatives. I picked up very early on that I was angry. Why was I angry? Because when you don't have things as a child, you ask the big question all the time, why me? 
and it gets into your system. You can take that anger and put it externally, which is quite negative, or put it on the system, which is even worse. And But you could harness that energy and use it to drive yourself, which I did. For a while, I didn't do that. But I, after a while, I got that and it really helped me. I, yeah. My anger drove me. I still get angry on you know certain times and certain things for no reason because it's still there. Yeah. So you got to picture what goes on during that period. But I, in general, my my background actually helped me. It helped me be resilient, be perseverance, have self confidence, you know, and actually be able to love to experience new things. I mean, just because I was pretty relatively successful, but I was and, and and that's what this book is all about. And I was embarrassed by asking people to read it, but I've had such great feedback on it that I'm not embarrassed anymore. And I recommend it strongly to people because it shows that anything is possible. It also completely accepts the fact that education is absolutely necessary. It is the solution to almost everything. And you have to keep doing it. Yeah. You know, you have to keep learning. Yeah. You know, yeah. Graduated college. I used a slide rule. Three years in the Navy, got out, took my first job. Slide rules were gone. If something called a computer came in. Think about that. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were slide rule jockeys. My, I had in the final exam, at, we counted up 2,700 slide rule movements and then went to the Navy and came out and went to work at, at a chemical company and the computer had come in. And the same thing at business school. Well, I didn't, when we graduated, there was no internet. I mean, it was, it was not there. Yeah. Now you have to learn all about that. So I think that's the other message. There, and I'm, I'm going to write a third book. It's going to be The Lessons on the Road Less Traveled. I've got 32 chapters, each one about five, six pages. And I'm going to try to make a lesson out of each one of them and then give examples to it. I mean, it's good. And this is basically, given my age, this is going to keep me busy for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, but see, that's the good thing. See, I've, I joke with people. <clears throat> uh, they ask me, my mother, I remember asking me, uh, how, how, what's going on with your retirement plan? Uh, my, my retirement plan is not to retire, except put new tires on the truck. That's the retirement yeah. plan. Um, they will, I jokingly say, God forbid this would actually happen, they'll have to peel my cold, dead carcass off of the console uh, because I, I just love doing what I do. And uh, there are certain aspects of it that I want to do until the day I drop. And then there are other aspects which I'd like to hand over to somebody else. I don't want to be responsible for that anymore. I just want to do this over here. And, of course, that's what I was taught in schools. Learn everything you can about every part of the business. And then in several years, you'll be able to start, quote, unquote, specializing. You can start focusing in on that which you want to do. And that's what I did. They also told me that uh, be prepared to move a lot. Well, I did move uh, from uh, one station to another, a few. But they were all in the Phoenix area until I moved to Santa Barbara. And then I worked for several stations here, but they were all here in Santa Barbara. <laughs> well, that, that's what, but, you know, you read the books and the books of long life basically is supported by finding something to do every Monday morning. Yeah. This Harvard study, 900 pages. They, they followed these people for 80 or 90 years. They calculated everything. Two things. One is a relationship. And the second thing is basically what they call social integration, finding something to do every day. Diet and exercise fall below that. Think about that. Diet and exercise are below relationships and below so what they call social integration. You found something you could do the rest of your life. Unfortunately, I managed companies. I had to find something else. And that's why the book kind of excites me because and then I, didn't, I didn't know what the reception was going to be. The reception has been excellent, especially at the college level. I, I, you know, I, so I go to a college and sell 100, 200 books to kids. And I get letters from kids saying, you know, this is this the greatest thing ever. Or I got one mother wrote me a letter that says, my daughter was lost. She read your book. She's going to college now. That pays for everything I've ever done, you know, yeah. if you change people's yeah. life like that. Well, talk and, a little but bit. It, it is a different ballgame. I mean, I'm, I'm out in the public arena. You know, uh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not that comfortable with it, but I'm, having, I'm starting to understand what I want to communicate. Now, like, people want to ask me about politics. I don't, I don't comment. I don't, yeah. I don't tell you who I like and who I do. I'm going to leave out certain things you have to because you can't be an expert in everything. Yeah. You can't really comment on everything because yeah. there are certain things that just you just you just don't know. Exactly. And as you said, we, we go back to this history thing with facts yeah. and opinions. It really, it really, I mean, I, you read about people that you thought were, you know, this, these books on, Jen, on, on Jack Welsh, who I knew personally, you know, Hero, he was, he was the corporate executive of the century. 
And now you read the, some books about, you know, you know, that he didn't do such a good job, you know, and mm. so on. So, well, no, yeah, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. But uh, we, no, again, no. I, they asked me about hero. Who's your hero? I said, do me a favor. Have no heroes, but find people who certain aspects you can take from them. Like Churchill. I like his perseverance. I don't want his drinking habits. No. Steve no. Jobs. I want his creativity, but I don't want his personality. See, take from people the good things and try to yeah. emulate those. But don't take a single. There are a few people. There are a few people in the world that have just have kind of done it all. You know, like our friend Jamie Diamond. I think I have trouble finding fault with him. And he just seems to do it all right. He's running the, one of the biggest companies in the world. And one of my one of my past mentors, Ace Greenberg, who's passed on, who ran Bear Stearns before they fell apart. There are a few people, but very few could do it all. But you can leach out of people things you can admire. I mean, Winston Churchill was, hey, persevered. He had something that, you know, he wanted to get something done. He wanted to bring America into the war. He did it. And he solved the problem. So, but, and Steve Jobs, most, one of the most creative people in the world. But, you know, boy, what a personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the one thing I, I am appreciative of him is that he had one book on his phone, only one, and it is my metaphysical primer. And that's Autobiography of Yogi. And that is one thing that impressed me about him in that regard. We're talking with Ed Hajim, and we're talking about his latest work that uh, you can get a copy of at his website, edhajim.com. The Island of the Four Ps, Passion, Principles, uh, Passion, Principles. Uh, we've got Partners and Planning plan and actually there's two parts to that but it's still only four piece and you are listening to tell me your story ed hajim is my guest i'm richard dugan your host and i want to ask you ed you you kind of touched upon this in regards to uh finding heroes finding uh uh and i like the way that you put that i uh, i've been involved with metaphysics most of my life i was 17 when i began what i called my search i'm still searching I don't have all the answers, and I'm not trying to find all the answers. I'm just trying to find answers to my questions today. And I'll have new questions tomorrow, and I'll look for those answers then. But it's interesting how so many people, you talk about, you know, don't have heroes, try to uh, glean from these individuals certain attributes that you can incorporate into your life. But... With the area, I worked for 15 years for a Christian radio station. And what I found fascinating was how many people turned these evangelists, these ministers and pastors, uh, into, they, I mean, they put them up on pedestals. Well, I've, I've studied and researched, uh, uh, you know, quite a number of the, the, the religions, the faiths, the philosophies, as I'd like to call them. From around the world, uh, I was born and raised Catholic, lived next door to a family of Mormons, uh, became a Baha'i in the 90s. Uh, I've studied a little bit of Judaism and Zen Buddhism, and I'm working on reading some of the Quran. And then I realized, boy, that's going to take about as long as it does to read the Bible. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. I've interviewed rabbis, some of the most incredible conversations I've had with them. Uh, and the list goes on of, uh, of the major minor philosophies that are out there. And I have never found one individual that I wanted to, quote, unquote, follow. Now, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Uh, for me, it's like I don't want to follow someone I want to live my life by a set of principles, as you know, one of the P's in your book, that will uh, guide me down the road of improvement, of betterment. Uh, certainly, certainly not of um, stature and standing. You know, you talked about how you're hidden. No, but that's a, there's a fifth P. And my contention is if you get the four P's right, or at least get get into them pretty well, you get the fifth P, which is what you're talking about subtly, which is purpose. And each purpose, each person's purpose is different. And that's why you can't actually want to be like anybody else. And so you have to define your own purpose. And I think if you do the four P's right, at least you attempt them, you can, uh, you can attempt to find your purpose. 
And your purpose is a very subtle thing. And then it changes over time as well. And, you know, I, you know, I, one of my purposes early on was to become financially secure. But, you know, midlife, that became something I wasn't interested in anymore. But purpose, that fifth P is something I'm going to spend some time on, too. That's still a little fuzzy in my mind. Well, I'll tell you, um, it's interesting to me how uh, you and other authors, well, you know, I, I mean, I've read over the years a number of books having to do with uh, these five principles, these 10, these seven. Uh, right. What was it? Uh, Covey who wrote the seven. Uh, seven effective traits of a, of a corporation. Of a, yeah, of an office. exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, I always find that interesting that they'll come up with a certain number. Uh, for example, James Redfield and the Celestine Prophecy and the 10 Insights. And then there's 11 and there's 12 <laughs> and so forth. I've had him on this program as well. Fascinating gentleman. Um, and I, what I, one of the things that I discovered, and you kind of alluded to this already, is that not everything is going to work for everybody. That you've got to find your own way. Would you find, though, that a lot of people are afraid to find their own way? Absolutely. It, it, it's, that is one of the problems is, is fear. That's why people try to emulate somebody else. That's why I want you to focus on your passions. And I want you to dig in, by the way. One of the problems, I, the book doesn't go far enough. I want you to take, I mean, I found my passion at college. I didn't realize what it was. First, I love putting people together to create something. But that wasn't my passion. My passion was helping those people do better than they thought they could. Have them exceed their own expectations. And then once you get that, say, that's my passion. How do I carry that out? Then you develop some other things which are more subtle. Like if you want to do that, you have to accept the fact that no matter what happens, basically, you can't take the credit. You can almost get do anything if you don't worry about who gets the credit. Then go one step further than that and say, try to deflect credit. And that brings you back to helping people exceed their own expectations. Because when somebody does says to you, you've done a great job. If you think about somebody who's helped you do that great job, and you say to the person you're talking to, no, it's Mary Sue, three things happen. First of all, you feel good. Second of all, the person who's interviewing you or talking to you is like, gee, this guy's really unusual. When Mary Sue hears about it, she's gonna feel good. So it's, that's what makes the whole machinery work. And in my mind, it's one of the reasons that management was so fascinating to me because I really got a kick out of people doing well and they knew it. And so that's what I, that's the thing I'm working on now. You got to get down into it. And as you say, nobody can, can tell you what, what's good for you. You have to find out for yourself. Yeah. This has been terrific. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, one of the pieces of advice that my father gave me uh, many years ago, uh, he does not like to be referred to as a wise man. Uh, does not like that, and I, I can appreciate that. He does not want to be put on a pedestal in that respect. Needless to say, this is what he said to me. He says, Richard, find a job you love doing because you're going to be doing it the rest of your life. Don't get stuck like I did. Now, when he said that to me, um, he hadn't gone back to college to get his computer programming degree in the 70s, went to junior college. That's when they were using the fan fold paper and the punch cards. So we had lots of drawing paper. It was wonderful. Uh, but I took that to heart. But that's not to say that I did it intentionally. I have to tell you that there's a certain element of accidentalness with my career, you know, um, I was going to junior college myself in, uh, in, in 1979. I took uh, six months off from high school graduation following it. And I went to junior college and I was taking your basic courses. And my, my counselor, my career counselor said, hey, there's a radio station up the road that's going to be starting. And why don't you go check it out? Now, it's funny because my mother, during that six-month hiatus before college, she says, why don't you go uh, find a job with one of the local religious radio stations? And I poo-pooed that right away, saying, I don't want them shoving their beliefs down my throat. <laughs> which, which uh, when, you know, if you were to track my 15 years there, you would see that it was actually the reverse. But be that as it may, um, I went and I applied for this job. I failed what they had was an oral reading test. Now, this was a radio station for the blind and visually impaired, where oh, they wow. read they read the printed page. 
newspapers, magazines, books, and so forth. Uh, believe it or not, I'm 62. I was 19 when I went to apply. Uh, and um, I was hired on the 29th of August, 1979. I have taken the oral reading test five times. Five times. So would you think that maybe by the fifth time I would have passed it? Nope. <laughs> nope. Haven't passed it yet. And yet, here, here we are chatting away about some great stuff, some great ideas, some great things that you are sharing with us, especially from the island of the four Ps. It's a modern fable about preparing for your future. Here on Tell Me Your Story. Ed Hajim is my guest. I'm Richard Ugin, your host. And I want to ask you, Ed, about this whole aspect of um, preparing for one's future. Now, we've already talked about the whole aspect of choices and that your perception of your future is going to determine the choices that you make. Right. You talked also about education, how important education is, formal as well as informal. So how does one, listening to this program, increase the volume of choices that they can choose from in order to move forward into that future that maybe they don't even see at this moment. They haven't even envisioned uh, a day down the road, let alone uh, a year or five years or 10 years, that typical, so where would you, where do you think you'll see yourself in 10 years kind of thing? I think in today, that, that's one of the things I'm stressing because once you find your direction, you find your passions and you find a passion that allows you to exercise your principles, then you, you basically can find things. Then you're getting, you're getting to be focused. And once you start focusing on something, you've got a greater chance of being successful. And just like with my vocational scholarship program, I think very important, kids decide that this is, they want to be chefs or they want to be nurses or they want to be marine engineers. And once they do that, then the opportunities open up. If you come and say, I want to be in business, that doesn't work. But if you find something that really, well, like you, I, I believe what you've done now, you really like what you're doing. You can tell that and you basically can find your way in it. Otherwise, you couldn't. And so I think this is one of the things that I try to tell people. But you got to get from inside. And even, you know, I am mean, a young lady that she liked horses. I said, go be a veterinarian or go, go where there are. There were horses. If that really turns you off, that it gets you excited. And, and you can do that. You know, you can, and I can, I must say, I'm going to try to apply my book to people in midlife as well. Because, you know, my daughter, who was on Wall Street doing extremely well, woke up one morning and said, this is not my passion. Took a year off, ended up going to work for TED Talks. You know, and she's now a curator. She's the senior curator for business in TED Talks. She found her experience this is what she really wanted to do and she gets up every morning and she can't wait to go to work because mm -hmm. and because that's what her passion was but she had to go to she went to a counselor and he went through all the stuff that you know people go through today see today i don't blame your father or my father they were in many respects the country was different the world was different they were trapped to some extent mm -hmm. they you know they, they, they had to get along and it wasn't easy for them it wasn't easy things were really different the America is so much better now than ever, ever before. I mean, we didn't have safety. In it. When I went to college, there were, there were just, I got a scholarship, an RTC scholarship. There were only 1,200 in the war in the country. I mean, when I went to business school, there were zero scholarships, you know. So the world's changed completely now in that respect. There's so much more opportunity now than ever was and ways of getting there. And they got to tell people that. Don't be afraid. Go out and look. You'd be surprised what you can get. Like our... Our golf club gives 10 scholarships to people that want to do vocational experiences. I mean, in, in a little town like Nantucket. I mean, and to see the, the look on people's faces. I mean, the kid we gave a, a, a scholarship to be a chef. And by the way, it costs $40,000 a year to go to Johnson Wells. This kid's not only giving a scholarship, he's, I want to work in your kitchen this summer. So he went and worked in our kitchen at the club, and he's mm -hmm. been, he's at a ball. He's having a good time doing what he wants to do. And I think that then we had two ladies who, who, oh, by the way, came from nursing families. Their mothers and grandmothers were both nurses, and they want to be nurses. And it was just wonderful to see people doing what they want to do. And then you, I can tell you're very happy in what you're doing, and you get a kick out of it. 
That's what we want to do. Yeah. That's the game. And then you find your purpose by doing that. And it, in many respects, some of the things people do, you know, develops their purpose. They realize they're doing, they're making life for people a little bit better. You're helping me sell my book, you know, and that's very important to me because I want to get my message out. Absolutely. And that's really what it's all about. That's one of the things I loved about James Redfield in his Celestine Prophecy. He talked about how we all have messages for one another. Each of us has messages for the other. And I used the analogy of Star Trek and the shields, because when the shields go up, yeah. nothing can get in. And the only thing that can get out is weapons fire. Yeah. And on the other side, it's the same thing. So when you lower your shields, which means you have to trust. And another great line from one of the episodes from Next Generation, uh, the whole episode had to do with this aspect of data learning about trust. And at the end of the episode, he's talking to Riker and saying, so wouldn't it be better not to trust? And Riker paused and says, no, it wouldn't be better. Because you would miss out on so much if you chose not to trust. That's well, why I give people the benefit of the doubt. Richard, to turn it around, everybody has a story and they're worth listening to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I uh, want to tell you, this has been a, a fascinating hour that we have spent here on the program. We're talking about, of course, uh, Ed Hajim and his uh, concepts, his principles, if you will, in the island of the four P's, passion, principles, partners, and planning. And by the way, speaking of partners, I remember uh, coming out of Texas uh, uh, one year on a news story uh, these Texans kept talking about how they were self-made. I did this on my own. Do you know that I'm 62 years old and there are thousands of people who are responsible, and I don't mean that in the possessive context, for my being where I am. If it weren't for them, I wouldn't be here. And I'll, what give you, I'll give you a quote, Richard. Life is a team sport. You like that? Yeah, I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Margaret Pekarik was her name. Since passed on, she was the one who suggested early on in my career at the radio reading service that I join Toastmasters. And I did. And it was a fabulous experience. We're talking with Ed Hajim here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And Ed, I have uh, three final questions that I ask all of my guests, and I'm going to ask those questions of you in just a moment. But first, let me thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and 9 a.m. on Wednesdays for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at richarddugan.com, and we are on podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And we're on YouTube where you can watch these interviews, and I hope you will click the notification so that every time I post a new interview, you'll know, ah, there's another interview coming your way. We also ask that if you can support the work we're doing here on Tell Me Your Story, we would greatly appreciate it. That's why we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. And please take time during this decade of perfect vision to sit quietly, calmly in that quiet, peaceful, calm, still place and listen to that still, small voice. With all that being said, and I know Ed would, uh, would uh, certainly agree with that, especially when the, in the context of, of the, uh, the island of the four Ps. And again, uh, the subtitle is A Modern Fable of, about preparing for your future. Uh, we ask these three final questions in our 15th year. It's very exciting that we've been uh, around for 15 years. Um, here's the first of those. Who is Ed Hajim? Ed Hajim is a collection of 86 years of experiences and basically is in constant change. Started with nothing, was able to give back to, to, to the system more than I ever expected. And basically, 
did I found my purpose in raising a family and having a family myself. What is your life's purpose? My life purpose is to leave the place a little bit better than when I got here. And that means every system that I'm involved in. I want people, when I enter a system, to say it's better now since he's been here. And finally, what was your best day? Today. <laughs> Every I... day is my best day from now on. <laughs> oh, trust me, at, 80, at my, my level, <laughs> at 86 years old, you just, every day is your best day. No, mm. actually, the best day probably was marrying my wife, Barbara. You know, it was, it was a, you know, a great experience, and she has been a terrific partner, and, and it's been very important. I, I tell people that the secret to life is finding someone who you can support, who can support you, who will basically, you know, share their life with you. It's very important. And that's why, you know, unfortunately, you see older people, when one dies, the other one dies, because it's so inter interplay. And we're, Barbara and I are, are totally interlaced, and it's very interesting. She, we think together. And I kid people, and she gets a kick out of this. I, I love her more than yesterday and less than tomorrow. Of course, occasionally we skip a day or two. <laughs> <laughs> but she understands. She understands. Indeed, indeed. Well, uh, again, Ed. Uh, great, great questions. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much uh, for great answers as well. And again, thank you so much for giving us so much time. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette. I am still listening.